0: That's marketplace.walmart.com slash savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations, a weekly podcast from practical e-commerce hosted by entrepreneur Eric Bandholz.
1: What is going on, internet? Eric Bandholz back again with another e-commerce conversations. I hope all is going well on the other side of the internet. On the other side of the internet from me, Eric.
0: Hey. What's up?
1: Yeah, another, another Eric. Yeah, we're just a couple of Eric's hanging out, talking e-commerce stuff, man.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Why don't you give our listeners a real quick rundown of what you do, which I guess is
0: yeah. ironically pretty similar to what I do. Similar niche here. Yeah. So got started back in 2014. Basically, I knew my entire life I wanted to have a business of my own, but until I was you know 30 or something, I didn't even know what that was exactly. So I've always been interested in making building things, kind of found out about selling on Amazon, getting an e, you know, building products, kind of getting an e-commerce from there. So started on Amazon, quickly realized the limitations. You know, I'm coming from a product background, like I like building and making things. Like that's my, I feel like my core interest. So the e-commerce marketing stuff was a complete learning curve for me. So, you know, early on, probably. I'd call it 2015, 2016 started, you know, dipping my toe into, okay, we're launching our own websites. We're, you know, trying to figure out, well, what do you do to get traffic? And I think that's like one of those fun questions that, you know, we talk about a lot, right? But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really broad history to be a little more specific. Our core brand is called Brio. We make grooming tools for men. Namely, our our beard trimmer and the the toothbrush have been some pretty popular items over the years. Recently, we did spin out our oral care line onto its own brand. We found that people were, I don't want to say confused, but in terms of messaging and content we were creating for different channels, we got to a point where it just made a lot of sense to keep all the oral care related content, information, everything in one spot. And then, you know, all the trimming grooming men's related stuff in another. There was just too much crossover there of kind of the content we were creating to kind of keep those two brands together. And, um, and that, that other brand, so, Ollie, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Ollie's Oral Care. So Ollie actually started out as a kind of a subscription-based teeth whitening strip. And that was, it was uh, just that product. We acquired that brand from someone else and then rolled all of our toothbrush stuff into it since then we've developed our own toothpaste and then made kind of some other products floss floss picks continue to develop the toothbrush more brush heads stuff like that so yeah two kind of different realms but you know i think with e-commerce it's a lot of the same lessons and a lot of times something you learn over here can be you know applied elsewhere
1: so uh, i i want to you know give our listeners a little bit of background i've known eric probably for It's got to be like seven or eight years now. And I feel like when you started Brio, like the brand for Brio was pretty lost. Like, I don't know if you had that clear, concise, like grooming tools for men, like, cause you had some products for women. You had the toothbrushes. It was just kind of like, it almost felt like an Amazon company where it's like, here's a product that Amazon's not selling and I can grab it and then just kind of piece together. At what point did you decide that it makes sense to like, Lean into a certain niche, were you seeing like dramatically higher sales for like the men's products versus the women's products or walk me through
0: that time period? Yeah, so you're exactly right. And I think when I first started in e commerce, like I've always loved the idea of building a brand. I think it's fun. I think it's cool to like kind of fuss over, you know, all, all of the things that people touch and see and whatnot, everything that, that is a brand. And So I've always wanted to do that, but I completely agree with what you just said in that I don't think I had a clear vision from the beginning of necessarily what I was doing or what that might become. So I think the easy answer is, well, and and also, let me just say this, it's still a journey, right? I mean, we were just talking internally the other day about website redesign. And then, you know, that kind of sparked the conversation of like, okay, how can we focus a little bit more? How can we make, you know, our mission a little bit more clear? Like what it is that we do, you know, got some feedback on some things that are on our website that probably don't resonate very well with people. So it is by no means done. It is like, it is a constant process. I'm sure you probably feel the same. So, you know, I, there wasn't an exact date to answer your question of like, hey, I figured it out. I feel like I'm still trying to figure it out. It's just more or less as we go forward, the picture starts to become more clear. And I think for me, what clarifies that picture is feedback from customers. What's working? What isn't? What are people responding to? Where do people find value in what we're doing? You know, That's kind of like the easiest way to, to break it down. And I think as e-commerce people, it's easy to do the things that you want to do or that you think are right or best but the, you know the more I learn about that the more I find out that I'm wrong with kind of like maybe what I want isn't necessarily what is resonating really well so yeah it it is an ongoing journey and that's why I feel like you know breaking ali out ali is it's it's really clear like you know we want people to take better care of their teeth and have better overall oral health you know so you're not going to see any gimmicky products over there. You're not going to see anything that's going to stain your teeth purple to try and trick people that your teeth are whiter. You know, we're not going to like go to the extent of making products natural that they become ineffective. You know, it's like I, I feel like that's like we have a narrow lane there, and um, and that's where we're focused. So it's been a little bit easier, I think, with Ollie. Where with Brio, you know, I love building tools. So that's kind of where our focus is. I think we have a lot of room to improve and grow with trimmers. I've got some samples I am messing with to kind of create like a new version of kind of what I think we're missing in the market right now. And yeah, just kind of constantly testing and iterating. I think that's my approach. So
1: I want to get a a little bit deeper picture. Is, Is it just you or do you have any
0: partners? this so i do have some partners but they're not really involved in the business um, Okay. basically my my brothers you know early on it was kind of helpful to have some like resource sharing between their company and me but from really early on though they you know they've always had other things they've always been involved in other businesses so it's it's not like they needed something to do but uh no I, i've kind of been alone which has its ups and downs right i mean i think there's a lot of times it's it would be great to kind of have a co-founder to lean on or ask questions to just kind of go through the experience with you the flip side of that is you know if everything that's good or bad i blame myself so it's that makes it really easy
1: yeah well the reason i ask is because you went through an acquisition which i would say is kind of almost uh, more of a strategic acquisition where it aligns with a product you're currently offering i'm familiar with uh, the person who sold it to you because uh, they've also been on the, the show in the past. But I was curious, like what is your mindset that went on during that period where you had the opportunity to, to acquire Ollie, you know, like where you just, cause to me that seems like that would be a quite a big decision, like bringing on a new company. I don't know if you had to like get debt for that or finance it or like how you made that deal work where you could essentially build up two separate brands.
0: Yeah, so uh good question. It wasn't a massive deal we were able to to pay for it. But I think for me when I look at that and when I look at things that I've created, I know the cost and the time to get to where Ali was. So it's you know, it's a matter of acceleration, right? It's like yeah. if I want to go in this direction and I can spend X dollars and it's going to get me 2 years ahead or 3 years ahead, then that's kind of how I you know, do do analysis on that type of thing, and then it's like, you know, am I excited about the product line? Does it fit with what we're doing, and, and can we grow it? And you know, it, I think that's the short answer. Is like, I really like the product, like the white strips, like that they that where we started. It's a great product. It still is. I think in the time after the acquisition, I definitely made some pretty big missteps of integrating, not integrating, not doing enough. You know, if I could do it differently now, I would for sure. I wasted a lot of time with trying to upgrade our subscription software and it was a total failure. It, it like broke our cart. And we, like, we spent our, our director of operations and I spent probably like six months like trying to get the software set up. And, uh, and then when we launched, it was like, oh no, no, what have we done? <laughs> so we've switched subscription platforms like, a couple like twice okay and we've lost massive amounts of subscribers every time we've switched there's no good way around that and then Ali was on its own when we bought it we merged it with Brio now it's on its own again i was like okay well would have been better not to do that so yes there's a lot i would do differently but you know what like where we are now i still love it cuz I, I i feel like with the two brands we have two separate problems you like kind of find this in e-commerce on the Brio side we can acquire customers profitably and make that first profitable sale, right? But when you buy the Beardscape, you're not going to need a trimmer for many, many years, and and like that's great. But we didn't like really quickly ramp up sort of uh, adjacent products, you know. So like we had the problem where it's like, all right, we're just constantly having to acquire new customers. We have, you know, we don't have the reoccurring customer rates that we want. And when they come back, they're just buying something like a blade or two or, you know, lower price items. So Ollie is the other side, right? So it's all like renewable stuff. Like when you sell someone a toothbrush, like, first of all, who, whoever buys the smart clean, they love it. And, but it's really hard to get them to buy it, right? It's like, it's this huge hurdle. It's not been the easiest thing to sell, but they come back and buy brush heads for years and years. So, you know, it, it's kind of like I like Ali in that it's the other side of that brio problem, you know.
1: Do you feel like uh, the, the businesses are are similar in size? How do you kind of like maintain the creative juices between two completely separate brands?
0: Yeah, and that is the hardest thing. I guess I've always envied you a little bit in terms of how dedicated you have been to creating content. Cause I, you know, I think to me that's shifting gears is is hard, like you mentioned very hard to do like if you want to be really really good at oral care you kind of have to focus on it every single day like day in day out like what's the industry doing like what are the popular ingredients what you know what are people looking for what are the buzzwords what are other brands doing what research has come out what are new ingredients are available like it's a rabbit hole right and you can't really be in that rabbit hole really really well with two brands so i in a way i do regret that like i do Wish I had more clarity, you know. So at the expense of that is just is having the opportunity to kind of diversify with two brands. So, you know, back to me wanting to be more like you and being better at creating content. I rationalized this by saying, well, you know, maybe me personally creating content isn't the best use of my time. And for the last year or so, I've been trying to find ways, better ways to. Build a team, right? So having more people create content, and that again, that's another thing that you're probably several years ahead of me at doing. So yeah, if the, I don't know if that loosely answers your question about you know, I guess focus and you know where I spend time. Yeah. The other I part mean, of that
1: you, is you're like an entrepreneur. You're not focused. <laughs> this is what I heard from that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and to me, like this is still a big step forward. Like I, you know, we all have the shiny object syndrome. Yeah. I have tons of ideas that I am not doing anything with because I know I shouldn't. (laughs) And that's that's the trick, I guess, right? Knowing, you know, knowing when to venture out and explore something new versus maximizing what what you already have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just think like, you know, I've I've gone down the rabbit hole of exploring making tools before. And, you know, to me it seems like such a high risk because it's a, a higher unit. Item like you're selling a eighty or a hundred dollar product something like that, and uh, the costs are much higher than our cost. And I think you've I don't know what the MOQs are or with with the manufacturers you're you're working with, but I would imagine like it feels like every product launch is going to be a pretty big deal. Do you find that's a case? Do you hedge those bets by doing like pre sales or kickstarters or how do you have the confidence that this new tool is going to not losing money
0: yeah no that's it's a good question because a lot of it just comes down to inventory planning overall just the amount of cash that we have to sink into inventory is pretty significant so you know not only just for new product launches but just day-to-day operations of the business you know making sure that we're ordering things correctly we're ordering them on the right time frame we're ordering the right colors We also have to manage inventory in uh, UK and Australia as well. I know you guys recently or before you were shipping worldwide and then kind of brought that back. I completely understand the nightmares involved of managing inventory in, in multiple locations like that. But more to your question, I mean, these days we're spending a lot of time and effort and some money on the development side too. So, you know, the new things we're releasing now, I feel like we're putting, I'll say, yeah, yeah, I mean, we are. We're definitely putting more effort now than, you know, years ago in terms of like really refining more iterations, you know, just really trying to make everything we launch as good as possible. And the, the hair dryer is a good example. <laughs> We've been working on this hair dryer for probably years, like probably more than a year, you know. And there's, you know, we've, we had some things that we wanted and had to have, and we've been through tooling changes and component changes and, you know, where we mitigate the risk is just starting with a low order. You know, we just, if we, if we sell out fine, but we would much rather do that than, you know, be sitting on a whole pile of inventory that we can't move. So that's, that's really the only way we found to say. You know let's let's use caution and and it's just like let's start with a really low order that we're, that we're you know confident that we can basically sell to our own sort of lists and people and then go from there because I'm sure you know from launching any new product, it's not only the product development, the you know initial order, it's the content to support it, right? Because you can if you launch something new, in a totally new category, like a hairdryer, we've never sold hairdryers before. We have no content on hairdryers. Like we have nothing. So it's, I think that's the hardest part is starting from scratch and figuring out, okay, well, what's our plan? How do we build up a level of, you know, YouTube videos, article inclusions, what like Amazon listing, like whatever it is, whatever that base is of assets to get it moving. I don't have the answer to that yet. Other than that, now at least we know what is required, and we're not going to like trick ourselves into thinking we're going to like spin up a totally new product, and then it's just going to blow the doors off from day one. I mean, you can you can certainly get indications of how well something's accepted to the market pretty quickly. I think I'm I'm sure you you know your testing's seen that whether it's a new you know a product variant or or whatever, some things sell better than others. It's just you know kind of how it works, but yeah just i guess it's like let's just order a small amount see how it goes yeah do
1: you ever feel like the moqs from your manufacturers are are still beyond that or will you try to find a manufacturer that can hit the moqs you're looking for because if you're talking about like tooling and molds and it's just like you know all those upfront costs don't pay out without the volume you know so then you end up with a, a product that is godly expensive to produce and And like, do you have the margins in it? do you lose money on that first order just to to see if it works? Or, you know, do you still try to to price it in a way where it's profitable, even at that higher MOQ?
0: Yeah, so I guess the way I've dealt with this is I've sort of been okay spending money on tooling because I, I mean, and that's, that's the hardest to justify, right? Because it is an upfront cost. I mean, it's been, you know, it's right at this point, it's like years ahead of, seeing any return. So there's I guess the only thing that gives me this confidence is like okay well traffic's steady like we're getting people here and we're you know we have that even if we get the hair dryer in and it's hard to sell we can at least sell it hopefully at a slower rate that will you know make it eventually pay off. I mean it is there's no way around it. It is still a risk for sure. But uh, there's also no chance to grow without taking some risks like this, you know, so I'm I guess I'm that's where I'm kind of seeing like, all right, if we really want to like, you know, hit a home run with something or even a solid double would be fine. It's going to take a little bit of investment in tooling, because, you know, when you look at the landscape of products these days, there's so many things that are just really generic and really boring and don't stand out. And if you want to have that opportunity to have something kill it, I think that the table stakes are putting in that effort. You know it is making the product that much better than the other version, and I think that's I'm just kind of resigned to that and I just kind of accept that for what it is. So
1: you're in on like a an incredibly competitive market space with like players who have been around for. Hundreds of years, it seems like, you know, Phillips and and Literally hundreds, yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you break into that? Like, how do you, like, from a consumer's perspective, I'd be like, ah, trimmer is a trimmer, a trimmer. You know, what's the difference between the $100 one and the $14 one other than like a rechargeable battery? It seems like, is that an, an objection that you're regularly running up against or, you know, like, how do you really stand out in that marketplace?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great question and I think after, you know, after 10 years at this my perspective has definitely changed. You know, the reason why we can do it is because the big brands have made really bad products in the last 15 years. And like not necessarily the high-end ones, but like the you know, the $30 ones, the $20 to $50 trimmer from a major brand is not a very good product. And that's left the door open for us you know and like you can flip it around and look at it the other way and say like look if someone has a problem with their trimmer they're going to get a hold of our customer service like right away an email comes from me after every order they can respond to that and and i will answer their question and you will never get that with a major company like it's not going to happen so in some ways they can't compete with us you know And I think that's why we're taking a tiny slice of the market. It'd be great to have more, but that's, you know, that's what we have for now. I think, you know, as we move forward and continue, like, down this road of just only developing really awesome products that, you know, eventually we make a name for ourselves. Because more often than hearing, you know, how do you compete with the big guys, we hear, I wish I heard of you sooner. or you guys need to do more advertising because I didn't know about you. I'd rather have it be that way personally, you know, because I did a little bit of a deep dive into Andes, which is one of the, you know, legacy trimmer brands of America. I mean, it's a really interesting story. They started in uh, Racine, Wisconsin, about a hundred years ago. There was a AC motor supply chain there, basically. Like they're really good at making motors in that part of Wisconsin at that time. So a lot of companies that had like, You know, consumer products that had motors in them were developed there. And for a while, I think they made great products. But at some point along the way, you know, the whole brand, I think, got suckered into this big box retail, you know, make me something that costs $20 thing. And then they did. And then 100 years later, they end up with a company that has zero vision. I mean, they know where they're going less than you know I did at Brio like a couple of years ago. It's like I can see how this happens. You know, it's it's really, you know, no one there seems to have any vision of like this is what we do, this is where we're going. And I I don't mean to pick on them. I just like I just happen to really dive into them and look at kind of what what the company's doing. I mean, they do have some trimmers that I like. They're really hard to find. You know, that like there's their website is it's really bad. You have to decide if you're an animal or a human before you <laughs> join. Um, but yeah, so they're basically the the short answer is big companies have left gaping holes in the market that, you know, e-com brands like us can find and and fill.
1: Yeah. Do you find that y- your customers are split pretty evenly between your website and, and Amazon or is Amazon still the leader for you guys?
0: Wow. Yeah, I could talk about that for a while. So with Amazon what I found like beyond a shadow of a doubt all of the sales we do on Amazon are basically from our own marketing activity. So we're it's changed over the years. You know, we went from 2014 100% Amazon to probably the peak was maybe uh, 2021 or 2022 we were probably like 65ish or 70% our websites versus Amazon. It's kind of shifted back a little bit. What I found is Like, we're not getting any free sales there. Everyone that buys there came looking for us. So it's not like our listings are showing up, you're doing a beard trimmer search and you're buying it. It's like they saw our product, they went, did a branded search for it. So, but what I found though is if we are not on Amazon, we lose that sale. So I know this is a hot topic for a lot of e com companies. You know, do we do Amazon? Do we not do it? I think my clear like findings here are so long as you are a company that doesn't have to be a subscription, it's not like personalized goods where it's like, you know, printing things with people's name on it, or you need to have 50,000 configurations to sell something. Cause like there's unique things like that. If you're just a standard run of the mill consumer product, you are absolutely leaving money on the table if you're not there. So, I mean, it's a huge pain in the butt to deal with. There's a ton I hate about Amazon. We've had so much trouble in the past. They lose inventory, they deactivate listings, hackers take over our listings, change the photos, like you name it, it's gone wrong. The system is held together a string and tape. I mean, it was it was built 20 years ago and it has so many legacy problems that are literally unfixable. It's crazy that it even operates. But this year they have been far better. So we've kept inventory in stock and just been doing better on Amazon. But that's kind of a a summary of my, my thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. And you do it for both brands or, or just Brio?
0: Yeah. So we just pretty recently got Ollie onto Amazon for the same reason. And I was just proven right again on that same theory. We had an Instagram reels from a couple creators that did really well. and. I noticed how much traffic it drove to Amazon, like for those particular products. Like, so there's a, you know, an Instagram reel out there. It's content. It doesn't link to our website. It doesn't link anywhere. Right. But people see it. And then it's like, well, what is the natural progression of where they go? And man, it's like a lot of them go right to Amazon. So, yeah, I think it's just kind of what you have to do right now.
1: I want to dig into that a little bit more because you've you've talked about how you're not good at creating content but where I do think you are good at is developing relationships with other creators and allowing them to leverage their expertise and audience to to bring awareness to your brand. Do you have a pretty thorough system for finding creators, you know, supplying products and then incentivizing them to talk
0: about products? Not entirely. It's been hit and miss over the years. I mean, I definitely have, I always have people in this role. You know, if you're going to hire people, this is, I think this for me, this is like one of the best things to have people do is, you know, be those sort of relationship managers between, you know, affiliates or influencers or PR, or whatever, just, just like being that kind of voice of the brand to reach out, follow up, like, you know, coordinate all that stuff. So, I think for me, I mean, depending on your marketing strategy as a whole, this is a great thing to outsource, to have someone do. I mean, I get involved as much as I can. So the, like the other part too, that I'm really focusing in on this year is being way more careful with scripting and script writing. And this is predominantly for short form, but a little bit more on the YouTube side too, just because we've seen the value of influencer and affiliate videos that index and search. I feel like YouTube is the unspoken search engine that that like everyone, like anyone who's playing the SEO game, they forget about YouTube. And it's a huge opportunity, I think, for a lot of brands, you know, if your product works well for showcasing on YouTube, because you can show up for search terms and be really persuasive in ways that you never could do on Google alone. So just a thought there, but... Is that um, paid or is that organic? It can be both. So, you know, when we reach out to creators, we kind of reach at all levels and then kind of, you know, look to them to say, you know, how do you best work with brands? You know, we're we're happy to do these affiliate deals. We can send you this product. You know, if they have money they they need or are requesting, totally willing to negotiate that too. I think recently we've been shying away from the super expensive creators because it just interjects a ton of risk. You know, when you're taking a giant chunk of money and then throwing that up as a bet, it's a lot harder. you know. I think it's, for us, it's just been easier to work with smaller creators. Cause I mean, a lot of times their videos can index and search as well. So, but yeah, scaling influencers is very hard. You know, there I wish I had a, a quick answer. I, I don't think I do. Um, I think the table stakes for that is having a great product. I, you know, there's a lot of products I see being sold online. Where you couldn't give it to someone and have them pretend to be excited about talking about it online, you know, like a lot, like a lot of the dropship type stuff. It's it's just like no one is ever going to be excited to talk about that. So yeah. that might not be a so you know, a way to go. Give give our
1: listeners like a general feel for what a good influencer is. You said like the smaller ones. Are you talking about under a hundred thousand is what you're looking for, or above twenty thousand followers? Is it primarily Instagram, YouTube? I know you're on all the, the platforms, but like, give me a quick little breakdown of what your team is looking for when they reach out to a creator to say, hey, we would love to send you some products. And
0: Yeah, so I think the most important thing for us and probably for most people is content niche. How well do they speak about or what is their expertise in the, in the realm that your, your products are in? That to me has been the biggest differentiator in terms of conversion rate. And also the most important, like honestly, we almost ignore following because the effect of, of conversion rate or persuasiveness is so much more important. We've had videos with millions of views that don't sell anything. And the other videos with you know thousands of views that sell a lot. You know, like a really to really dial in there. I mean, with Brio, it's always been the men's grooming guys that are the best for sure. Like we ventured outside of, of that zone a lot, you know, like fitness or cars or like, you know, other like highly male audiences, you know, they just don't work as well. They're just not as persuasive or, the, you know, the audience isn't into it. We've had videos for Ollie that dentists have done on really niche sort of topics and have included their product, the video might only get, you know, in the thousands of views, but just absolutely kills it from a conversion perspective. So for us, that's way more meaningful. Um, well, so how, I, I guess my advice is give. How do you. Uh, sorry, have, go ahead.
1: Well, how do you like since I'm in this niche, I know how small it is. There's like 10 of us, whereas like women's beauty has hundreds,
0: <laughs> you know, so like. Which which is why. It, yeah and that
1: makes it hard to scale yeah 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 so like do you just resolve yourself to like knowing that i'm in this niche i'm i'm really focused on the people who really care about grooming who watch the content because otherwise you know it's just a bloodbath and and it's not profitable and then it's like my business can only be this size like does that not bother you that you know maybe there is a ceiling to the potential for your brand
0: yeah, so I think the way I've dealt with that, because I absolutely have have sort of realized and internalized that for sure, and I think that for me, with Brio and the trimmers in particular, the strategy shift has been, if someone's looking for a trimmer, I need to show up in search, right? Because the market's there. You know, We talked about these other giant companies that exist. So it's like I think on the Brio side at least I've shifted my focus a little bit. So I'm like, okay, well, we have a good roster of grooming creators, influencers, affiliates. Like, let's keep working with them. Like these these things are working, but to scale, to kind of go like, okay, we're here. Where do we go next level? It's probably not going to be with YouTube grooming guys because, like you mentioned, we're tapped out. So my strategy shift here is like, okay. How do I make sure that if someone searches, you know, best beard trimmer, best body hair trimmer, whatever the search is, that I'm going to be there, you know, and that is back to the content game, right? It's it's articles and it's videos. It's like those two things. We launched an SEO strategy about a year and a half ago. It's been really interesting because we've been able to get a ton of traffic. Like we've probably more than double our website traffic, but it's been very low value like really, really low value to us. So I think it was like in one way, it's like, okay, well, that's a fun learning experience. What can we do with it and where do we go from here? So two ways we're kind of trying to fix that. You know, One is let's focus on content that's a little more close to home, a little closer to like a term of purchase, for example. And, And then second on all these other articles, well, what can we do with those? How can we optimize those, change those, link to other content or whatever to keep people sort of in our funnel, within our content. What's the next thing they want to read? How do we engage them more? You know, kind of the conversion rate optimization side of of that. So it's kind of like our twofold answer. But then, you know, the other part too, where I think we've really hit our head against the wall is if you've ever done a search for best beard trimmer online, you'll see what shows up. It's, you know, it's things like the, it's kind of the bigger history, historic publications. But the thing that just drives me crazy is they're all affiliate articles. Yeah. And no one who's written those articles has ever tried any of the trimmers. And it, it just, it drives me nuts because I know what they're doing. I know the game, yeah. like they're there to get sales, right? And if they put a trimmer in there and it doesn't sell well, well, then they lose. They, they have no incentive to do it. So in one way, I hate that, that the internet works like that. On the other side, I'm trying to figure out how to make that work for me, you know, because it's like I'm not going to change the game. Like I'm not going to all of a sudden alert everyone in the world that like all of these affiliate articles are really bad and the recommendations are are poor. Like I think <laughs> people are like slowly figuring that out for themselves. But to be brutally honest, I think that's why YouTube reviews work so well, because people get so sick of hearing the ad messages from the big brands. They'll go to YouTube and say, "I want to see someone holding these things, talking about them like that." That's something you can trust. So, you know, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. That makes you'll sense. have to listen
1: to my podcast episode with the Batch guys because they've had to grow that way because they sell CBD products is through affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. So that might be a, a worth a thirty minute listen. Where can people buy your trimmers yeah. or or whiten their teeth?
0: Where can they? Yeah. Oh, well, is this this my shameless plug? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you. No, I'm sorry. I'm a little slow today. Brio4Life.com for the trimmers. Look for the Beardscape, probably the V2. That's our popular one. If You want to whiten your teeth. Actually, let me take a step back. If you don't have a sonic toothbrush, highly recommend it. You can buy it. And three, four months later, if you don't like it, we will take it back full refund. That's how sure I am that you're going to love it. You can find that at ollysmile.com So there you go. Shameless
1: plug. So, everyone listening, doesn't matter if you have a beard or no beard, doesn't matter if you're a dude or do that. You've got some products for them, and uh, maybe it'll make your uh, Christmas a little bit whiter. We'll have a white Christmas with white teeth. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Eric and Eric. Another e commerce conversations. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Cheers. Keep on growing.